0: Welcome to 2021, when your beard can be all it can be. How? By visiting the Fable Beard Company websites. As you know, they're the official beard company of the American History Podcast. And as this episode airs, it is now 2021. So, new year, new you. Get it started right by using one of their many amazing beard products to help soften your beard and hydrate it so it's the best beard you can possibly have. Now, when it comes to beard products, I'm a huge fan of beard oils and butters that are infused with CBD. I've used their roaster-scented CBD oil, which is fantastic, as is their latest one, The Baker. This particular oil is complete with a fantastic scent profile and the quality that only Fable Beard Company can deliver. Each bottle contains 50 milligrams of CO2-expressed full-spectrum CBD oil. Oh, and that scent profile? It's fresh-baked pastry, warm vanilla sugar, and just a hint of cinnamon spice. Believe me, gentlemen, the wife or the girlfriend is going to love it. Head over to fablebeardcompany.com and use the coupon code Shawn 15 for 15% off the entire order. That's right, 15% off the entire order for listeners of this show. If CBD isn't your thing, then head over to fablebeardco.com and check out all of their oils and butters, as well as beard conditioners, and even products for women that don't have CBD in them. The coupon code works over there as well. Remember, it's SEAN15, the number 15, and let's start off the new year right. Now, on with the show. The American History Podcast, Season 3, Episode 24, American Society in the 1920s, Part 2. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Worswick. All right, so... Welcome back, and before we get started, let me welcome you to 2021. While I'm recording this in late 2020, by the time y'all hear this, the calendar will read January 21st, assuming that you're listening to it just a few days after it's released. So I hope that your holiday season was joyful, or as joyful as it could be in this crazy year that we've had, and let's all wish for a much better 2021 furthermore let me thank all of you for an amazing 2020 here at the american history podcast our listening audience has grown by at least 40 percent and our patreon membership has grown by leaps and bounds as well so i want to take this time to thank all of you be it our patreon members or just our listeners to the free show who listen to each and every episode you all have made this journey amazing and you are the reason that i'm still here doing this now speaking of patreon If you would like to support the show, let me invite you to head over to www.patreon.com slash American History. For only $5 a month, you will have access to over 10 hours of bonus content. Plus, you'll get every episode commercial-free a week before it is released to the public. Now, the latest bonus episode that is available to Patreons is the massive Crackers, Rednecks, and Donald Trump. And there will be more to come in 2021. Our latest members to Patreon are Claudia Katie, Jim, and Catherine. Thank you all for signing up at the $5 per month level. And we also have our first member at the Nimitz class level, which makes them eligible for special gifts um, every three months. These gifts include a sticker, a mug, an organic tote bag, and a t-shirt, all of which have the podcast logo on it. Anyway, this special pioneering Patreon member is Brooks. So thank you again for your awesome support all of you that are members of the Patreon group really thank you from the bottom of my heart Um, I have a long list of books for the remainder of season 3 and season 4 so your kind support will help um, with the purchasing of those items now another way to support the show if Patreon isn't your thing is to use one of our links when you shop on Amazon you need not actually purchase the item that it's recommending but as long as you enter Amazon via our link we get a couple of bucks thrown our way or pennies or whatever it is um, this is an easy and cost-free way for you to support the show. Now, if you'd like to email me with your questions or criticisms or whatever, the email is sean at the American History dot com. Sean is spelled S-H-A-W-N. I respond to all email, so feel free to email me. Um, also, if you're into the social media thing, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Okay, so this week, the song of the week is Bugle Call Rag by Benny Goodman. Now, I realize this version is from the 1930s, but it was popular in the 20s, thus I picked this version, which I actually really like, Now I'll see you on the other side. Alright, so first let's talk about America's mass consumption economy during the 1920s. This was a decade when, to put it quite bluntly, business was glorified, and perhaps wouldn't be this glorified until the 1980s. Evidence of this can be seen in the publication of Bruce Barton's book titled The Man Nobody Knows. This was a top-selling book in uh, 1925. Actually, it was the top-selling book in 1925. And in this work, he referred to Jesus as the first modern businessman, He said, Jesus, quote, picked up 12 men from the bottom of society and forged an organization that conquered the world, end quote. Now, another one of his quotes was, every advertising man ought to study the parables of Jesus. They are marvelously condensed, as all good advertising should be, end quote. Now, another example of this whole business um, being king, so to speak, was Calvin Coolidge. He famously said, quote, the man who builds a factory builds a temple. The man who works there worships there. Basically, businessmen were seen as the people who ruled the nation. Okay, so coming out of World War I, the United States was the world's largest creditor nation. There was a depression in 1921, which we will discuss in a um, future episode, but the economy soars after that, and does so for the rest of the decade. Taxes were low, and the tax policies favored the rapid expansion of capital investment. However, this might not have been a good thing, and I hate to say that, but I will address this in a future episode. But spoiler alert, it wasn't a good thing. Now, another part of this post-war economy was the idea of buying on credit. Basically, consumers were attracted to a buy now, pay later philosophy that rose up during this time. Again, this was not a good idea. The bill has to be paid at some point, And the bill certainly came due. Okay. Um, in the meantime, the economy, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, was booming. A key indicator of economic health is productivity and between 1922 and 1928, it rose 70%. Wages increased to all-time highs. Electric power increased 19-fold between 1912 and 1929. Before World War I, 20% of homes had electricity. By 1930, 70% were electrified. Refrigerators, vacuum cleaners, and electric stoves all came into vogue in the 1920s. Now, all of this new technology resulted in greater efficiency, Electric motors, more efficient than steam engines, were developed. You also had the creation of the assembly line, which dramatically accelerated production. Now, all of this, more efficiency and more productivity, meant that prices of goods were going to drop. Which is, of course, good for the consumer. There is, after all, a reason why consumers stopped purchasing books at bricks and mortar stores and started buying them on Amazon. In many cases, Amazon could sell the same item for half the cost. Furthermore, new industries spurred a growing economy. These new industries included light metals such as aluminum, as well as the development of synthetics for clothing. The development of film and radio industries, as well as the radio manufacturing businesses, um, all took place during the 1920s. So there were lots of changes taking place, um, perhaps similar to what we saw starting in the mid 1980s through the early part of of this century. Now, having said that, the biggest of all of these changes was the rise of the automobile. Certainly, it wasn't exactly a new invention, but it was truly Henry Ford and his creation of the moving assembly line, which made automobiles available to the masses. The process was so efficient, it cut time necessary to make a car down to where a new automobile rolled off the line every 15 minutes. And this meant there was plentiful supply available. Thus, prices fell, and cars became affordable by more than just the richest of families. This made the auto industry, especially here in the United States, king. Further, it sparked growth in other industries, such as petroleum, steel, rubber, machine tools, and road building. Now, another industry which saw growth in the 1920s, and this will be important later, is construction. Skyscrapers continued to change the horizon of major cities, such as Chicago and New York. Speaking of the latter, the Empire State Building and the Chrysler Building, the two tallest in the world, were completed in 1931. Construction throughout the 1920s, but especially in the latter half, was on fire. And that will link into the Great Crash and then into the Great Depression. Now, there were also some medical breakthroughs at this point. Things like the development of the iron lung and a cure for tuberculosis. You also had a vaccine developed for a virus that was far, far deadlier than what we are seeing today with COVID-19, and that is smallpox. Throughout the early decades of the century, life expectancy grew big time, possibly because of these medical advancements. In 1910, the average life lasted 49 years. By 1930, it was up to 59. That's a major increase, and it would continue to increase throughout the century. This was also a time when chain stores became a common sight in American cities. Stores like Woolworth, Sears, Roebuck, and now the now defunct Montgomery Wards, but also J.C. Penney's, all rose up around this time period. This is linked to the continuing consolidation of trusts in the 1920s and this mass market culture, but also the fact that American consumers had more money to spend than ever before. Another aspect to all of this is the fact that women increasingly entered the workforce at this time. There were really two main job types that were open to women. First, typists. Um, These were often middle-class, high school-educated females. Why? Well, lower-class men and women often lacked the language skills required for the job. Second, you had teaching. Women were often teachers, but they could also be shop clerks, cashiers, and switchboard operators. I should note, 57% of the, fem- of the female workforce were African-American and foreign-born women, mostly working in domestic service jobs. Now, of course, if you're getting a consumer mass consumption culture, you're going to get advertising. It really came into its own at this point as an industry. Manufacturers tapped into mass markets through advertising. Workers in the industry tended to be young white college graduates, or uh, former newspaper writers. In fact, men outnumbered women 10 to 1. As we still see, even today, it used persuasion, allure, and sexual suggestion in magazine, newspaper, and increasingly in radio and movie ads. By 1925, U.S. corporations were spending over a billion dollars a year on advertising. That's a lot of money. Now, another facet of modern uh, American culture emerged at this time, sports. And it was big business. This was the era of Babe Ruth and Jack Dempsey, and they were famous thanks to the image-making of advertising. Yankee Stadium became known as, quote, the house that Ruth built, end quote, thanks to the large crowds who paid to see the Babe play. In 1921, thousands of people saw heavyweight champion Jack Dempsey knock out lightweight George Carpenter in the first million-dollar-grossing boxing match. Now, I wasn't going to mention this next part, but as you will see, this is important. So if you're taking notes at home, like a good student should, then put an asterisk next to this. All right. Um, It is also related to what I said earlier about Henry Ford. So let's talk about the idea of scientific management. Frederick Taylor wrote a book in 1911 called The Principles of Scientific Management, which was influential in the development of mass production. While Henry Ford is often credited with it, all he did, um, and it's not exactly a small thing, was to adopt Taylor's practices. Workers actually hated Taylor's methods, which they termed Taylorism, as it concentrated power in the production process to managers rather than workers and initially led to lower wages. But in the end, even workers benefited as the cost of goods produced in this way, such as cars, radios, and eventually televisions and computers, also dropped. Even today, think of how much a flat panel HD television cost just a decade ago. Today, you can get a huge TV with all the bells and whistles for less than $1,000 at Walmart. This is made possible thanks to Taylor's methods. Okay, so let's look more in depth at Henry Ford and the assembly line. Okay, so let's look more in depth at Henry Ford and the assembly line. Detroit emerged as the automobile capital of the world at this point in time. Now, just a side note, it would actually be more of a curse than a blessing, at least over the long term, as Detroit was a one industry town going forward. Thus, how the US auto industry went, that's how Detroit went. Okay, by the 1980s, Things weren't going well at all, but I digress. In the 1890s, some U.S. inventors began to adapt the European gasoline engine to produce cars. By 1910, 69 companies existed, with a total annual production of 181,000 units. The most successful were Henry Ford and Ransom E. Olds, the founder of Oldsmobile, thanks to their use of assembly line methods. By 1929, the big three, Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, made 83% of the cars produced in the United States. Now Ford, quite wisely, realized that workers were also potential consumers of his cars. In 1914, he raised worker salaries from $2 a day to $5 if workers adapted or adopted his thrifty habits. They had to learn English and they were expected to avoid drinking and gambling. Now if you're wondering, yes, Ford hired company spies to check on his employees out-of-work behavior. I will say Ford paid good benefits, hired handicapped workers, convicts, and even immigrants. For this, he was called a traitor to his class by many wealthy people who resented his reducing the gap between the higher and the lower classes. Now, as I said earlier, his assembly line could produce one car in one and a half hours total and one rolled off the assembly line once every 15 minutes. Now just FYI, before the assembly line method, it took about 14 hours to make one car. At one point, Ford was able to produce a car every 10 seconds at his Rouge River plant near Detroit. Once complete, one completed car rolled off the line once every 10 seconds. I mean, just think about that. That is amazing. Now, the Model T was a staple car in the United States for many years. And by 1930, Americans owned almost 30 million cars, two-thirds of which were Model Ts. Of course, there was a drawback. Assembly line work was tedious as the pace was set by machines, not people. Now, before we move on, let's quickly look at the automobile's impact on the U.S. economy. There are seven um, of these, so stand by. First, cars replaced the steel industry as the top American industry. It employed huge numbers of workers, about 6 million people by 1930. Second, it supported industries such as rubber, glass, fabrics, highway construction, and thousands of gasoline stations and garages. Further, it gave, boost, uh, gave a boost to the steel industry, and the U.S. petroleum industry exploded as Texas became the center of the oil boom, but California and Oregon were also major players. A third outcome of this was the standard of living in the United States increased substantially. Leisure time was increasingly spent traveling to new open spaces. Suburbs spread out even further as home ownership increased. Food could now be delivered quickly before perishing. Fourth, the railroad industry was decimated by cars, buses, and trucks. This really spelled the uh, the end or the beginning of the end of the railroads as far as passenger service was concerned. Yes, it did hang on through the 1950s, but in the long term, like by the 1970s, it was done. Fifth, there were major social changes that came about thanks to cars. Women became less dependent on men. Home life was also affected as, as youths became more independent. Some regions, which had remained isolated, like the desert southwest, were now seeing growth as some states lost population. Why live in the northeast and deal with the harsh winters when you could live in a place like West Texas, New Mexico, or Arizona and see snow only on rare occasions? Buses also allowed the consolidation of schools as well as some churches. A couple of negative consequences were the fatalities increased significantly. One million Americans had died in car accidents by the 1950s, and that's more than all who were killed in all of the wars the United States had fought in up to that point. And today, we still see this. 4,000 people die in Texas alone on the roadways every year. Finally, you had bootleggers who used trucks to undermine prohibition. Now, personally, I see that as a positive, but some may not. Now, another major invention that came into its own at this point was the airplane. December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers flew a gas-powered plane 12 seconds, and 120 feet at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, launching the age of aviation. Now the airplane, of course, was used with some success in World War I, and shortly after the war, passenger lines with um, airmail contracts came into being. By the mid-1930s and 40s, travel by air on regularly scheduled airlines was much safer than uh, many of the overcrowded highways, and even today it's much safer. Now in the 1920s, uh, we saw heroes made out of these aviators, uh, the most famous being, of course, Charles Lindbergh. In 1927, he was the first man to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean when his Spirit of St. Louis flew from New York to Paris in nine, uh, 39 hours and 39 minutes. Thus, an American icon and world hero was born. Another famous aviator was Amelia Earhart. She furthered the cause of women's liberation by repeating his feat in 1932. The impact of the airplane Truly cannot be overstated. The world was now closely tied together as time to travel vast distances shrunk considerably. Railroads received yet another setback as airplanes siphoned off passengers and mail service. And finally, uh, they were later used with devastating effects on cities during World War II, something which we will discuss in Season 4 at some point. All right, so let's discuss the radio. Um Guglielmo Marconi, an Italian... Invented wireless communication in the 1890s And radio technology was used extensively in World War I But it wasn't until the 1920s um, That we get the first use of public radio Specifically in November 1920 KDKA in Pittsburgh carried the first broadcast They announced Warren G. Harding's victory in the presidential election of 1920 The range of the broadcast, however, was only a few square blocks However, shortly after this, radio broadcasts grew exponentially And national radio networks emerged In 1926, you had the creation of the National Broadcasting Company, NBC, and the Columbia Broadcasting Company, CBS, came into being in 1927. Now, the impact was profound. It stimulated the economy with a new industry that employed thousands of workers. It entertained millions of families during their leisure time, much like TV would do in the 50s and beyond. Third, it helped to knit the nation together culturally. For example, um, different regions of the country now heard broadcasters with standardized accents. Millions of listeners also heard comedies like Amos and Andy and were entertained by the same programs. A fourth impact was, as already mentioned, advertising. Advertisers used the medium extensively. Fifth, politicians more and more came to use the radio as a means of reaching the masses. A sixth effect was that newscasts brought news to millions of listeners, many of whom did not read newspapers on a regular basis. And finally, music of famous artists and symphony orchestras were broadcast, enhancing American culture. Now, speaking of entertainment, let's talk motion pictures. In the 1890s, peep show Penny Arcades gained in popularity, but the first real moving picture was released in 1903. Titled The Great Train Robbery, it attracted thousands of working-class patrons to five-cent theaters known as Nickelodeons. But it wasn't until 1915 when we got the first full-length film, and that was D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, a film which glorified the KKK and defamed African Americans. Then the movie industry got a boost thanks to World War I and anti-German propaganda or the making of propaganda films. Essentially this, the 1920s, was when Hollywood became the movie capital of the world. Silent films were the standard until 1927 when you had the development of talkies or films with sound. Major stars included Charlie Chaplin, Rudolph Valentino, and Clara Bow. Cecil B. DeMille helped to found Paramount Pictures in 1914 and he produced and directed more than 70 films over the next 40 years that collectively grossed over $700 million. By the way, the first talkie, the jazz singer, featured Al Jolson in Blackface doing a minstrel act. And if you want more information about Blackface as an American art form, I'd recommend Thaddeus Russell's book, A Renegade History. Heck, even if you aren't interested in that particular topic, I'd recommend his book anyways. It's the single best book on American history that I have ever read. Anyway... As a result of talkies, silent films died out, and by 1930, some color films were being produced. So what was the impact of films on American society? Well, they emerged as the nation's premier entertainment industry, more than radio, music, and even live theater. All were secondary to the film business. Actually, sports was second, but it grossed only about one-tenth of movie receipts. By 1930, 100 million tickets were being purchased every week. The vaudeville industry was killed off, and live theater attendance decreased significantly. Third, actors and actresses, some with huge salaries, became more popular than even politicians. This is also when you begin to see people interested in what these actors and actresses felt when it comes to political and other issues. And fourth, American culture was bound more closely together as movies became the standard for taste, style, songs, and even morals. A fifth result was that it helped provide education through newsreels and travel logs. And finally, Tabloids and the cheap movie magazines emerged as two byproducts of the film business. Okay, our last topic for this episode is the changes which took place in working conditions. Work hours were reduced at this point in history, mainly thanks to the increases in productivity. In 1923, U.S. Steel gave workers three 8-hour shifts instead of 12, uh, two 12-hour shifts, partially due to the pressure from President Harding. Uh, by the middle of that decade, steel production was so efficient that workers were given even more time off without hurting the bottom line of the corporation. Now, this is also the time when we start to get welfare capitalism. Owners started to believe that if workers were taken care of, labor unions or strikes would no longer be needed and would become a thing of the past. Thus, you get the rise of employment benefits. These uh, included one week of paid vacation, two weeks for those with seniority, basketball courts, and baseball diamonds located near factories where workers could play for an hour, the availability of a nurse or a doctor at the factory to treat injuries or illnesses, and cafeterias with good food at low prices. In the end, it worked. Union membership declined in the 1920s. The AFL had 5 million members in 1920, but only 3.5 million by 1929. Lastly, wages became stagnant. So perhaps this was how things were paid for. Workers had more time off but their paychecks weren't growing. In an inflationary environment, which the 1920s certainly were, this isn't a good thing. Actually, inflation is the problem, but, you know, that's something we're going to discuss in an upcoming episode. Prices increased faster than wages did, and this is due to the inflation that was taking place. It was a warning sign, but no one paid any attention. In the end, the signs were there of a coming crash, but people were too busy enjoying life to pay it any heed. Okay, so that's all for this episode. Uh, Once again, as always, I hope you enjoyed this production, this episode of uh, the American History Podcast, and I'll see you in a couple weeks. Until then, good day. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.